0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, August 7th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini.
1: And I am Broadway star's James Marino.
0: James, we had two episodes come out over the weekend. First, a kind of summer update with uh, Natalie Nowak over on On My Way to a BFA. And then yesterday, you had a a little more discussion-based episode of This Week on Broadway, since it's kind of that lull in the season where you've got some things that have opened, but things are kind of waiting to open in the fall. So you've got things running, but not a ton opening. So you guys talked about some different things with Peter Felicia and Jenna Tessa Fox over the weekend.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we really only uh, reviewed a handful of shows. I think um, a Midsummer Night's Dream we talked about. um, I don't even remember what the other ones were, but but we did talk about... um, you know, the, uh, the state of theater in general and uh, some news items and things like that. So uh, it, was, it was a different type of This Week on Broadway, but uh, always exciting to get together and, and talk about theater with uh, Jenna and uh, with Peter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There is a little bit of stuff that happened over the weekend that I wanted to mention before we get into the rest of the show. First, Broadway had two different types of goodbyes on yesterday, uh, on Sunday. The first was that Broadway bid farewell to Indecent, the show that was originally going to close earlier in the summer then got a reprieve by Daryl Roth and her other producers and did finally wrap up its Broadway run yesterday however that is not the end of the road for Indecent because as we reported last week the show will be preserved It was preserved last week and it will eventually make its way to Broadway HD in January so that's really exciting. Then the other goodbye was uh, over at Kinky Boots they said farewell to Panic at the Disco frontman Brendan Urie who had been playing Charlie Price for a good Portion of the summer. Not only has he kind of brought some public attention to that show, he has also brought an incredible amount of box office power to it as well. So much so that I think a lot of people who were anticipating that it might close sometime between now and January are starting to rethink that, James. We know that original stars Billy Porter and Stark Sands will be rejoining the show in September. So whether that was originally meant to uh, round out the show's run in January, or if it will now continue the run because of the strength of the box office in recent weeks, who knows, but, uh, Brendan Urie's appearance in the show has definitely rejuvenated kinky boots a little bit for a lot of people across the Broadway community.
1: That's, uh, that's, uh, some good producing that they're doing over there. At kinky boots.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, so tell us, why why are we here a little bit late this morning?
0: Well, the reason that we are releasing this episode a little bit later than normal is because today at 8.30 a.m., the producers of The Band's Visit announced the show's complete and final casting. Joining the previously announced Katrina Link, Tony Shaloub, John Cariani, Ariel Satchel, and more will be Etai Benson as Poppy. And Adam Cantor as Telephone Guy, which is pretty exciting. Performances for the band's visit on Broadway begin on Saturday, October 7th, 2017, with an official opening on Thursday, November 9th of this year. Tickets are on sale now. James, I don't remember. Did you see the show at The Atlantic?
1: I didn't. Uh, and okay. so these new folks that are joining, are they
0: part of the previous cast or are they new? I believe Adam Cantor is new. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. We just got this this morning. So I haven't uh, looked into it a lot. But um, uh, Adam Cantor, uh, I believe was not a part of the show. But uh, I could be wrong. But I think he's a new one.
1: All right. Uh, Next up, San Francisco theater illegally edits the last days of Judas Iscariot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this one's been uh, a story that's been picking up a lot of steam lately. And it's <laughs> it's had a very uh, definitive ending, but this is it's kind of weird. Our friend Howard Sherman did some great reporting on this one. So, apparently, the Shelton Theater in San Francisco, which has been around for about 25 years, was doing a production of Stephen Adley Gerges' The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. But the director decided that he wanted to make some changes to the show. So instead of asking the author's permission through the publishing company, director Richard Sicarone – I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. I couldn't find any pronunciations. But he simply put a a program note in there that said, quote – for me, a play is a living document that should transform from production to production. It is something the author bestows upon the public as a gift to be shared, and theater remains the greatest interpretive art the human race has developed. He continues, quote, The play may not be what the author intended in his original vision, but as a work of art, I believe it is our duty to interpret and not simply repeat, to participate, not just transmit, and by doing so, become a collaborator in the work. The production's uh, edit Took what is normally a two-hour Play and shrunk it down To just an hour and twenty minutes Obviously that's a fairly Egregious violation of copyright laws However, upon hearing about This, Mr. Gerges decided not to Immediately shut down the performance Which would be his right Um, He's done this a a number of times Actually when uh, different theater Companies have taken liberties with one of his Works, he's tried to work with them to get them Corrected in order to not you know, be too punitive to small theater companies or especially the actors who had nothing to do with the edits taking work away from them. Instead, he contacted the theater and asked them to put a insert into the program that read, quote, the play you're seeing tonight has been improperly and extensively cut and edited. These edits were made without permission against the wishes of the playwright and in violation of the copy of the federal copyright law, which You know, it's a fairly strong statement, but if Mr. Gerges was happy with that being put in there and that's all he required, okay, no harm, no foul. However, what they did was is they put that in there and then stamped a large warning in like a red stencil over top of it. And Mr. Gerges said that he kind of thought that made it look like a a meta joke or some sort of way to make a, a comment on the play, like it was part of a prop. So he tried to get back in touch with the theater company and, and had them remove that, however, apparently the the theater company went radio silent for a while. Mr. Gurgis then took to Facebook to try to get in touch with them, and they eventually finally did some back and forth between the director and the the producer matt shelton who the theater is named after, finally went back and forth, however. Mr. Gurgis was not satisfied with the with the steps that they took, and he did have the production shut down over the weekend. He then made one final statement saying, quote, I have no hard feelings. Neither does he. The show has been closed and we move forward with respect. No enemies, no bad guys. Shit happens. We are all theater people here many freaks but one tribe room to grow room to learn room to forgive if you're in Sam, if you're in san fran support the shelton theater the fight's over so no need to choose sides forgive them forgive me thank you uh, james i feel like you know we've in the year and a half that we've been doing today on broadway we've had a number of these things and i just it shocks me that professional theaters large or small especially those that have been around for 25 years continue to do this and think that there's not going to be repercussions, uh, and and they just do it. I, I don't know. I just it it just surprises me that we continue to have these type of big, uh, you know, these big stories every few months.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that
0: that quote that you read is
1: shocking. The play may not be what the author intended. <laughs> he, he, the director said that. Oh, well, it published I- it
0: write your own play then. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> good. I mean he kind of did when you showing it from two hours to eighty minutes. You kinda of did write your own play. No, he
1: he he took somebody else's he, you know. <laughs> <That's true. Yeah. laughs> he copied off his classmates' homework, but didn't finish the assignment, you know? Yeah. I I I s um Steven Gerges is a much better human being than I am. That's all I can say. <laughs> Truth. I I would have pulled out nuclear weapons and anyway. All right. So uh, the New York Times releases the official and rejected Frozen posters. I loved this
0: thing. This was so good, James. Um, uh, Eric Pippenberg, who unfortunately is going to be leaving the New York Times here shortly, did an article where he went through all of the artwork for the upcoming Broadway production of Frozen and showed what the official poster is going to be and then also gave us some insight into some posters that were created. And then rejected He talked with Ollie Moss Who is uh, He's the An artist who worked With Sereno Coin Who is the advertising Agency for Frozen We'll have a link to this In the show notes But he's got All of these different posters I'm I'm scrolling through them here James They're great There's one um, That they It how they did it was they showed the poster and then they explained what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it and why it was ultimately rejected. You've got everything from not enough personality to too creepy, which I think <laughs> is funny. Um, one that's too safe. They have one that they said was too playful. That looked very much like um, uh, an ad for the first season of Fargo, uh, which was kind of like an ugly sweater for frozen, but it's really cool. I mean, it, it shows you that this is not just like, Hey, let's let's get together on, on, Photoshop and see what we can make these they put a lot of thought into this a lot of creativity goes into it and I really loved a lot of the art that they create uh, that they came up with but I think the one they went with was probably the right one.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree exactly with you on this. Um and as far as uh the show itself it seems like they're not just doing a direct print from the movie
0: to the stage. Well, uh, yeah. That's what Tommy uh, Tommy Schumacher said in a video that was released, uh, I think, last week, um, that the show or the movie, as it was created, he thought would make a great Broadway musical, and they started working on it right away. That's why the turnaround was so quick. But he also said that it couldn't translate exactly because of how it was made on the film. So there's... Uh, they're like tripling the number of songs from the movie to the stage production. And James, it opens in like a week or begins previews in about a week and a half. So I'm really excited to see, obviously um, our friend Patty is, is one of the stars. So, but I'm really excited to see what they come up with because uh, you know, the, 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 the Disney musicals have been all over the board in terms of how they've approached the existing material. So I'm excited to see what director Michael Grandage does with this and, and how closely it, it sticks to the movie and how far it veers off into its own creative way.
1: All right. Uh, Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the great comet, but these are people that are doing think pieces about what has, what has happened at the great comet.
0: Well, well, here's the thing, James, I don't want to talk about these. I just can't stomach it, but I wanted to, since we've talked about it so much, I wanted to pass on these articles. The first is from uh, Lee Seymour and Forbes, which you know has some good points that it's Forbes they obviously take a little bit more of the financial um perspective on this it gets a little wonky at the end and I'm, I'm not sure I agree with it 100 but the other one that I really actually enjoyed is from Diep Tran and from American Theater that really kind of looks at the internet outrage that sprung up around this uh, again I don't want to get into them too deep but we'll have links in the show notes and I'm kind of on great comment burnout mode right now um Because there's a lot of anger that's still simmering there and we've got enough anger going on right now and I just don't know that I can do it anymore. But if you want to read up on these, we'll have the links in the show notes, especially the one from American theater is is really, really strong.
1: Yeah, Deep Tran is uh, a great thinker and she is um, – she's been over at American theater for a while and uh, we should all be paying attention to what she says more often. Absolutely. really, Really interesting. All right. Uh, In the recommendation section, I sent this over to you. It seems to have caught fire on social media. So let's talk about it.
0: Yeah. Um, We have two things, and they're semi-related. The first is that uh, at a recent concert, Adina Menzel, and what she always does is she brings kids up on stage to help her sing Let It Go. And at one of these performances, there was a boy in the audience, and she said generally when boys are up there, they're kind of up there against their will. But this boy, I think his name was Steven. Um, he was up there and he really enjoyed it. And so she has him sing along. She lets Steven, I think that's his name, um, do a little solo. And uh, the kids got some pipes, James.
1: My, my goodness. Yeah. And not only pipes, but um, interpretation.
0: <laughs> yeah. He, this, I, I don't think that this was his first time performing. At all, and especially not performing that song.
1: Yeah, it (laughs) seems he's got a little history. And then, uh, what's up with Chrissy?
0: (laughs) Chrissy, yeah. Um, Sticking with the the wicked connection here, Kristen Chenoweth, as you probably know, um, oftentimes in concert. She sings the song for good from Wicked and which is obviously she originally sang with Adina and she always brings up whether it's a celebrity or just an audience member to sing. There's been videos for years of her doing this from the Hollywood Bowl to, you know, um, one of my favorites, Anna Kendrick or whatever. So she hosted the Television Critics Association Awards over the weekend. And here's the bad part about it. They're not aired on television and they're not filmed. However, there was a video of her singing for good with recent Emmy winner Sterling K. Brown, who won his Emmy for The People versus OJ Simpson and is now one of the stars of NBC's uh This Is Us. The video has unfortunately been taken down, but I'm I'm telling you now, I did not know Sterling K. Brown could sing, but he's fantastic. He sang the the Alphabet part and it was really, really good. So if that video seems to pop up somewhere on the YouTube. Uh, Check it out quickly because I don't know how soon someone from the TCAs will make them pull it down. I saw it from a critic who um, just used their phone to record it, and it was really, really good. Unfortunately, when I went to put it in the show notes, it's been taken down. Um, But hopefully we'll get a chance to see it again because Sterling K. Brown has a great voice. So hopefully we'll see him in a movie musical or a stage musical sometime sooner rather than later.
1: Oh, that's awesome. All right. Why don't you get us out of here?
0: All right. Thanks for listening today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play.
1: And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off your week with us. It's Monday. Get out of bed. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow.